Previously on Quest Friends. Oh, gross! <laughs> get it out, get it out, get it out! We have to get it out! Okay, okay, um, how do you get spiders out of people? <laughs> he punches into the pillow, pulls out a handful of feather, and shoves them into Jacques' mouth. Start punching him. Punching him? Start punching him. Um, <laughs> like, hard? And you see Sue kneeling above this small, dwarf-like man who is bloody and battered and on the ground motionless. No, 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 Marv. No, 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 no. Mama? A voice rings from outside. Yes, Lowell. You move the mirror to the end of the shelf again. It looks nice there. Everett pops out and says, Oh no, my hats! What? <laughs> oh my god, I will buy you a hat. Really? You just shut up about it, yes. <laughs> Yay. So we are back with uh, our latest arc, our new arc. We got one going on. So because of that, since we'll hopefully have a couple of new people listening in, we should probably summarize the story so far. So I'm Kyle. I'm the GM for Quest Friends. And this is kind of what's happened so far. So our party of four heroes started their heroic journey by releasing an ancient evil that included flying obsidian tiles, black spiders, and a big armored dude with a viking horn helmet. Uh, you then went off and you saw a picture that had the dude in it called the Heroes of Navarine, and you also found a couple of other people in that image as well, including uh, a mayor who had given you that job that accidentally released that ancient evil. Our good friend Shock, who I pronounced as Jacques through most of the game so far, got bitten by a spider and got a whole lot of vision and a whole lot of deathly poison. Uh, they found one of the doctors who was in this picture, his name was Mako, and they freed him from a doomsday cult that believes causing world war will evolve humanity. He supposedly cured Shock, who is no longer having the spider death poison. So that's the story so far, how'd I do? Good. That's accurate. Yeah. That's, that's what happened. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> What's happening away? All right, so before we continue, I want to ask three basic questions. So one, when you were first trying to get in the Mako, this guy named Harry Jerry, whose daughter you ended up saving by freeing Mako, gave you a ruby. You never actually used the ruby, and you promised you would give it back to him. But... You haven't told me that you have yet. So did you end up giving that ruby back to Jerry? Absolutely. Yeah. Sometime off, off screen. Okay. So you all gave it back to him. The second is the Jagged Dream, this doomsday cult that you saved Mako from, was creating a pseudoscientific bioweapon called Annex. Now, last we saw, Shock had taken Annex uh, and he had it. So Shock, did you end up giving that to uh, Mako or are you still holding on to that? I am still holding on to it, unless someone took it off my unconscious body, that is. Okay, did anyone creepily just steal a bioweapon from their close friend's unconscious body? Nah, not it. <laughs> Thank you, friends. <laughs> and Mr. Mako, being an ethical doctor, also did not, did not take that. Cool. And then the last question is that the end of last... Last session, Misha tried to just leave the whole party. They just tried to up and get out of there. Rude. Shock did stop them. But so far, according to me and the audience, you are the only two who know about that incident. Did you mention Misha's attempt to leave to the party to everyone else? Uh... Misha didn't. Like, Misha wants to keep the whole thing secret. 
if possible, but Shock uh didn't need words to to know to keep it secret. Sure, Shock wasn't gonna tell anybody. Alright, so Hop and Ellie just thought they had a regular old fun normal happy go lucky day, no emotions there. Uh cool. In that case, we are on the next morning. And after your vacation day of many misadventures, you all meet up with Mako, who's been set up in a wide, empty farmhouse. As you walk in, you can see that he and Shauna have been hard at work disassembling the whole poor place. Tubes and wires coil around the wooden posts on one side, like vines on a starved tree, and they're connected to a variety of Numenera and two large vials. One is labeled Apocrita, and it's filled with this deep black fluid that has crimson flakes and rotates consistently around its cage like a pacing animal. The other, labeled Annex, is completely empty. On the other side, the posts have been just flat out removed, and the ceiling is instead being held up by the Mauve and Mako covered wagon, which is lying on its side. In front of you, Mako is sitting cross-legged on the floor, his eyes closed. He's reciting an endless stream of jargon, which we as listeners would recognize as 21st century chemical and biological names, but to the party, it sounds like complete and utter nonsense. As he's reciting that, Shauna is standing nearby and translating this nonsense into more understandable but still very complex modern-day notation. Uh, and by modern-day, I mean modern for the characters. They're, it's like very, very futuristic notation for us as listeners. And one last thing is, Misha, you can feel the data sphere's presence in the room. It seems that Mako is retrieving this information by uh, channeling the data sphere. Right. So you all step in, and as you do, Mako pretty quickly stops what he's doing, and he stands up and he happily points to all of you and he says, oh, hello, friends. How was your day off? All right. Shock is going to um, go sort of to the corner. Like, I'm imagining a doorway here, right? Yeah, yeah, Goes to, like, the side of it, like, along the wall, leans on it, like, arms crossed, huffing, like, you know, (laughs) mutters. You're not my dad, whatever. (laughs) Um... Yeah, you stand there, uh, and, and actually, as you go next to that corner, you see that Everett had been sulking in that corner, <laughs> but now that somebody else is sulking in the corner with him, it's no longer cool, so he gets up and he leaves the building. <laughs> I'm never allowed to have this. <laughs> um, this is my fate. Well, Mako says, well, that's excellent. And by the way, Misha Jarvis, did you know that the Gendarmi soldier that you threw into the bottomless pit in my boat is an excellent chef? I wasn't able to get to him until late last night, and he was able to survive by turning an assortment of random metal objects into an exquisite creme brulee. Uh, I believe I gave him a a little recommendation over at the saloon, and he's having a great career already. When Mako first starts saying, like, do you know that the Gendarmi soldier, they are going to have, like, a split-second panic look (laughs) in their eyes, and then when they continue, and, and they realize that it's the one that they toss off the boat and not the other one, Uh, (laughs) they are going to look visibly more relieved and then they're just going to be like oh well i certainly look forward to tasting those culinary features at some point in the future oh and you'll have the money to do it too harry jerry was super grateful that we saved his daughters and you got back a priceless family heirloom apparently and he and fasten have contributed to give you a pretty substantial payment and he points over to a table and you can see that in nice little bags with little happy macaroni faces drawn on them are four bags one for each of you and inside, if you pick them up, you'll find 20 shins apiece. Aww. 
And after you grab your money, out of the upturned boat, you see Mauve come out of it. And it looks like she's wearing these, like, thick mechanics gloves. And she's got oil all over herself. And she's just dusting herself off. And she's really tired, but she kind of weakly waves hi to all of you. And Mako says, well, I suppose with all pleasantries out of the way, I, I, I assume all of you have quite a lot of questions. And after the wonderful favors you gave me by freeing me and helping stop a world-ending cult, I suppose that's the very least I can do is give you hopefully a couple of answers to the questions you might have. We'd appreciate that. (laughs) Shock is going to uh, glance over at that and say, so what is it? The cloud thing that we woke up? Well, it's, it's bad news, more or less. Marvelous Mod. It's called the Apocrypha, and we don't know much about it. It appeared 40 years ago, and it consumed everything it ran across. What did What did you all see when you went back to Rhubarb? Everyone had frozen where they where they stopped. Almost everyone. Uh, That's kind of the weird thing when we say it consumes everything. It's actually really rather impressive when you think about it. You see, the Apocrypha is is a hive mind. Most hive minds you've heard about are, are the kind that will do something to the bodies once they consume them. They'll either absorb them into themselves or they'll otherwise find a way of disposing of them. The Apocrypha realizes it doesn't need that. The most valuable thing we have is our minds. And so that's all the Apocrypha takes before getting up and and moving to its location. It took us a while to realize that it did this. For the longest time, we just thought it was was freezing people. But the more cities the Apocrypha took over, the more we realized it changed. When the Apocrypha first appeared in this titanic black cloud that was cut into a thousand pieces by streaks of frozen green lightning, it would make soldiers. And when it first appeared, they looked pretty much identical. They were these large, rotund figures with joints that looked like they had been made out of vines or something. But the more cities it took over, the more people started showing up. It seems that the Apocrypha harnesses the memories of whomever it chooses as its temporary hosts. And through its memories, it's able to recreate a admittedly relatively imperfect copy of its victims. And then it uses that imperfect copy to create an army, to add more spiders and make more victims, and so on and so forth. The cloud gets bigger, its database gets larger, and, well, eventually... There is only one consciousness in the Ninth World. How did you stop this thing before? (laughs) We didn't, Shock. We didn't stop it at all. The reason we were able to figure out how the Apocrypha works is because every time it attacked a major city, it would immediately go to the city that was most related to it, the city that its inhabitants had the most memories of. And so once we figured out this pattern, we were able to predict where the Apocrypha was going to go. We were able to predict that maybe it would start in Auspar and go to Shalamus, and then maybe, you know, skip over Fastin, because Fastin was so small that no one would really have a lot of memories of it, and go straight for some place like Charmande or Key. We never fought it. We, we tried once and almost all of us died. And so from that point on, 
all we did was go from place to place, trying to evacuate as many people as we could. Then why did it stop? Mako's going to uh, pipe in, and he's going to say, To be honest, Jacques, we, we don't know how it stopped. We were in Bodrov and trying another evacuation, but this time the mayor did not believe us. Thought we were some sort of spies, if that's a story that sounds familiar to you at all. And he refused to evacuate. And we didn't we didn't have a plan. Bodrov is on top of a tall, thin tower. It's very hard to get in and very hard to get out. <clears throat> if you're coming from the ground. If you're coming from the sky, however, you're completely defenseless. The only reason Bodrov didn't fall is because our leader, Aegon Stormbreaker, heroically flew into it and he did something. I I don't know what he did, but he saved us all. Is he the guy with the armor? The helmet with the horns? The Z-Drake? Well, I, uh... I suppose that solves that mystery. Yes, you, uh... All of you and Aegon are, at this point, fairly well acquainted with one another. Um, at this point, did we agree that Hopper has the picture that we took from Sue? You can, if you want. I took the picture, because I want to have taken the picture. So I'm going to pull it out and then hand it to him and be like, is this... Is all you? Oh, the picture of the heroes of Navarine. When we first formed, Aegon was insistent that we had to take this picture. Apparently, in uh, one of his ventures out as an Angulan knight, he ran across a townsfolk of people who believed that taking pictures would trap your souls. And most of them treated it as horror, but he thought, well, if we're going to be a combined unit and we're going to work well together, then we might as well find a way to combine our souls together as best we can. So he had us take that picture, picture pretty quickly. Silly superstition, of course, but... The sentiment was good. Was it? Aegon chose to overlook the trapped part of it. Uh, he was a little, a little recklessly optimistic at times. Uh, I uh, never met anyone who was recklessly optimistic. <laughs> then I want to eye specifically Shock and Misha. Wow. <laughs> this is a shade. Bad enough that I get this shit from Kyle. Shock <laughs> <laughs> oh. is going to say, you said he flew into the swarm? Flew right into it. He didn't wait for us to back him up. He didn't wait for our opinion. He just, he went by himself. I think more than anything else, this proves that only a fool would do something like that. That's a pretty big assumption, don't you think? We don't actually know what happened to him or if he's really alive. We just saw his body in the center of the swarm underneath the mountains in the Riage. That's a long ways away from where he faced the swarm, and we don't know what happened in there. It might have been the only way to stop more people from dying, and whatever it did, it kept it asleep, at least for a little while. Mauv is gonna look you straight in the eye. Are you really gonna fight me on this, Shock? I'm not fighting. No, are you really? Are you really gonna fight me on this? You gonna say that it was a good idea? He ran off by himself, he didn't have his team to back him up, and now he's either become the Apocrita, or better yet, he's dead and his body is used as some sort of hellish host for this thing that he so desperately wanted to destroy. He may have prevented it by 40 years, but we're not much better off than we were earlier. Shock will just sort of look down and say, well, I'm not the one who tried to blow up a city. Mega's gonna look at you for a second. 
And actually right next to him, it looks like Shauna wants to pipe in and, and like correct you on something. But he kind of like raises his hand and he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to fight him on this. Like you can kind of tell it's like this kind of like, I'm not going to fight him on this. This is fair. Uh, and he's going to say, well, I can't argue that I'm, that I'm anything other than a pale imitation of the kind of hero Aegon was. But there are few people who would hold up to that kind of greatness. Are you all familiar with the Angulan Knights? Hopper nods. <laughs> I'm probably vaguely familiar with them. I wore their armor once. <laughs> <laughs> For a caricature <laughs> that you had with your dads. Yes. Shock nods, but, like, doesn't say anything. All the Angulan Knights have uh, a very interesting way of thinking. They're bullies. They're horrible, horrendous, white natin bullies who just walk into any place they can, defeat the big bad guy, and then walk away with little care of what disasters they've made. They practice a kind of morality that favors purity over what's actually ethical and empathetical. I mean, you can even tell it in their motto. No force too great, no cause too mighty. What that motto doesn't say is that there definitely are people too small and causes not nearly glorious enough for these wonderful white gnats. And Aegon, he was as bad as the rest of them. He went from place to place, going and beating the big bad guys and often leaving whatever poor city he passed by worse than it started off with. But, uh, Ma uh Mako's gonna put his shoulder on Mauve's, uh, Mako's gonna put his hand on Mauve's shoulder, and you can see that she is, like, she is beat right at this point. She sounds very, very calm, <laughs> but you're pretty sure that, like, uh, actually, you no, know, a fly comes by and buzzes right by her ear, and she just whips out her rapier and, like, without any hesitation, stabs it. Um, <laughs> she is in a very bad place right now. Ellie's gonna look thoughtful, be like, I think I might have stabbed one once. Well, I, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say they didn't deserve it. So Aegon was one of these Angulan knights, and for a while he was, uh, pretty bad. But we soon found out that he was a little bit different from the rest. You see, Aegon's priority was not beating the bad guy, it was saving the good guy. Helping protect people as best as he could. And that's... That's what he did. As soon as he was able to, he got out of the Angulan Knights and went from place to place, saving people and, well, picking up a couple of us he saved along the way to help him out. We were called the Heroes of Navarine. I was the medic, Mauve was the, uh, the muscle, Sue was the diplomat, and then Marvy, good ol' Marv's strong arm, was our mechanic. And of course, there was finally the professor. And she is, she's interesting. She was our connection to the data sphere, to other worlds, to our own selves. She often knew us better than we knew ourselves. And Aegon, he was our leader, and he, he led us so many places. I think that's why he left us with the Apocrita. A success with the Apocrita still meant half of a city was lost. There was no saving everyone in that case. I think after a while, it started to get to him. No offense, but uh, leaders don't leave people behind. 
Also, it's worth pointing out that since uh, since his little bicker with uh, Mauve and Mako, Shock has like slumped into the corner where before it was like a defiant pouty lean. Now he's just sort of like shrink, trying to shrink back into his cloak and pulling it down over his head and just staring at the ground. Oh, like he, he's he feels kind of ashamed of what he said. Classic acting out. Hopper will say, "So what do we do now?" Well, that's the big thing. It's. It's whatever you want. I suppose the first thing I need to ask is, Shock, do you still have Annex? He nods. Would you be willing to, uh, to hand it over? He, he reaches into his cloak, uh, or his robe, I should say, and pulls it out, extends it, walks, walks over, hands it to Mako. Okay. He doesn't meet his eyes. Mako is going to give it to Shauna, who is going to stick it in that jar that's labeled Annex, and you're going to hear this horrible crying out as if, like, Annex itself is is screaming, begging to be let go and released, and then within moments, it's going to fade and disappear. And Mako is going to pick it out, and he's going to throw it back to Shock and say, keep that, it might be helpful for you. What you have is this little orb that it can basically store, it can store light Ooh. and gases if they're effectively funneled through. So you can't like lift it into the air and be like, come to me, light, come <laughs> in my little device. A lot like in Charmande, they had those little things where they were able to funnel that kind of liquid the light keys. through the keys. This is this is basically one of those keys. So it could work on those things, or you could maybe find some way to jury rig it so you could put some other substance in it. To be clear, this is an orb and not a rod or a cylinder, right? No, this is a little orb. It kind of looks like a snail. So it's got this little, like, snail shell thing, which is uh, a glass. And then where the snail head should be, there's this little metallic funnel that's used as, like, the keyhole. So that's just a little artifact that you got that you can use. I should hang on to this. <laughs> Can't use that yet. I got that reference. All right, and then as he throws it back, he says, Well, we beat Annex, but the unfortunate fact of the matter is that the Jagged Dream probably has a plan B. They've been working on this for years. About five years ago, they had this massive coup of Anquin, and from what I can tell her, trying to get a war between them and the Paranthian Empire brewing. And outside of character, I do know it's called Patharan, but we've been calling it Paranthian, and we like how that sounds, so it's the Paranthian Empire now. They've been causing trouble over the Steadfast for the last couple of decades. Starting that war between Key and Navarine was Endgame, and I know that they have at least one other plan they're putting together in case this one fell apart. So that's that's what I'm doing. That's that's where I'm going, and, and you all, you can leave if you want. And he points to Shock and he says, Shock, I was able to get out most of the Apocrita from your blood, and by my estimates, whatever small amount remains shouldn't be more harmful than aging itself. That being said, with your con consent, I would like to keep what I extracted to develop, let's say, less barbaric methods of recovery. Uh, and as he says that, you can like still feel the bruises from your ribs <laughs> from when Ellie was punching you, and you can't taste the feathers anymore, but their texture somehow has stayed on your tongue for the past 48 hours. Ellie looks a little bit guilty and like uh, he told me to. Shock briefly considers asking briefly considers asking what on earth they did yeah. while he was unconscious and or dead but thinks better of it and says but, but what what about the Apocrita? We we woke it up. It, it's all happening again. They're, they're gonna kill everyone if we don't do something. Yeah and we'll find a solution Shock. But, I mean, we can't go into the Apocrita if it's gonna kill us or turn us into some zombie or, or whatever it is it needs to plan. We need to develop an inoculation before we try to fight it. Mm. 
did Aegon ever keep a journal or notes or anything? Mako is going to think to himself, he's going to be like, no, his only notes were in his brain. And well, the only two people with access to that would be the Apocrida itself and I guess the professor. Hmm. Where is the professor? Last we checked, she's doing some sort of professorship in Key. We've been keeping tabs on account of the upcoming war, although I don't think she's been putting as hard of a focus on it as we have. Um, Misha is going to say, uh, would this professor have further information that we could use to help you in defeating this monster? She might. I think she might, but we need to develop that inoculation first. Uh, with this thing going around everywhere, you need we need to have that that insurance before we can do anything. What is needed to develop this inoculation? Well, I'm glad you asked. He's going to go over and you're going to see kind of what looks like a, a med kit. You know, like the defibrillation kits that you can open them up and then inside there's the defibrillator and all their stuff. He's going to say... So I'm pretty far along in the process of creating the inoculation. I think one more day or so I should have it together. But the thing is, when delivering this inoculation, you're going to have to have some armor yourself against the spiders. I got, I had to be very careful to make sure none of it got on me. And that really impeded my process to help shock. What I'm currently working on is a flexible glove made out of azure steel, uh, which Ellie would recognize as what her claws are made out of. She's gonna like wave her fist. Now the issue with azure steel is that it needs a very high surface area to melt. So I need granulated azure, which I mean we could find in Charmande, but I don't think we'd be welcome back there. Mm, probably not. Heist, 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 <laughs> heist. But Mauv and I know of a black market, and Mauv's going to say, it's a trap, Mako. And we got something conveniently this morning with coupons for it. It's a trap, Mako. <laughs> so uh, these five-finger coupons, whoever they are, have given us some pretty convenient things that uh, I think we might just want to go shopping for. And there's a whole lot more than just this uh, pliable azure. And he pulls out this like little like packet of coupons and there are there are five things on the coupon, on the packet. So the first is pliable azure. Create an indestructible suit of human armor. The second one is what's called the Macy Day hat pin. It's a small hat pin of a mace. And because this is, uh, because this is our version of Numenera and things that are written can talk. Assume that anything I say is verbally spoken by the coupons. So this mace pin has googly eyes on it and a little word bubble that verbally says, Hi, I'm Macy Day. I sure love to kill. <laughs> I want it. And then there's a little thing that says, Sentience not included in this otherwise still very deadly hat pin. The next one is uh, a coupon for Rap Tap Tatters, which are dark business shoes that make delightful tip tap sound when worn. The sound has actually been written in on the coupon. It's like onomatopoeia, so you're able to hear what it sounds like. They also have small wings coming out of the heel that occasionally flutter and light up. The next thing is the Historical Adventurer's Journal. It's a complex book that, even when brand new, just has a dizzying assortment of loose papers and post-it notes scattered across it. It includes pages made for maps, pages made for notes, pages made for fluctuating lists of enemies, uh, and best of all, it claims to have been used by a whole host of historical adventurers throughout history. And uh, you know those like CDs where it's like, it has these songs, and like the song list comes up and it occasionally plays the song that's highlighted? It has that, and then like it has the voice of the adventurer narrating whatever thing they 
dead. And then finally, the last thing, which actually doesn't make any noise, there is a picture of a small locket, which is about the size of a pocket watch. There's no exciting description for this one. All this is under a banner of five finger coupons, which is centralized in a city you've never heard of called Brulettia, and they all have the tagline, buy none, get one free deal. Uh, and beneath all of it, it says terms and conditions will apply. Oh, this is a trap. <laughs> this is... <laughs> so someone is trying to lure you two into a trap in this place. You're exactly right, Shock. Someone is trying to lure us into the trap of spending more on things we don't need <laughs> by trapping us in with good, good savings. And, and Mauve has her head in her hands by this point. And you two both know best how to contact the professor. So we could go pick up the materials you need while one of you somehow gets a message to the professor and we could all work on fixing this. Sounds like a plan to me, but I, I really wouldn't be worried. Vruletia is deadly enough as is. It is the black market. Somebody's going to try to kill you anyway. <laughs> shrug at that and be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Misha is going to say, I do not understand why the color of a market reflects whether or not someone will try to kill us. Uh, however, I will I will strive to be careful regardless. Oh, it, it, it's a phrase, Misha. A lot of illegal stuff goes on there. Are all of the materials black? No. <laughs> Rouletia's stock is so vast that if you want something in black, I'm sure they have it. I will attempt not to buy anything black to be extremely careful <laughs> about this endeavor. Okay, we go. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to, I just want to clarify really, really quick, Mako. You know this is a trap, right? Like you're, you're aware that this is definitely a trap. I mean, this this is a city that's basically a giant casino, and as we all know, casinos are massive traps. Mauve is gonna put his hand, her hand on his shoulder, and just ma just mouth to you, "I'm the one that's coming with you." <laughs> oh, thank goodness! <laughs> and she's gonna turn over the maker, Mako. Well, since this is their first time in Rulettia, we should probably gear him up with something. And he says, "Oh, of course, feel free. Just grab anything from my stock that you'd like." And he points back. To that covered wagon and you can see that trap door that he retrieved all his gear from when you were escaping. You see that trap door is completely open and he kind of encourages you to go inside and get a couple of ciphers. Cool. Thanks. Do you want to do that? Yeah. So you walk through this trap door and go down a cold ladder into a large empty space. At the bottom of this space is an inch of water with a very thin sheen of ice on top of it that breaks up in chunks, kind of like the top of a fresh mug of root beer. On the end, you see this massive table of a variety of Numenera, and on the corner of it, a large, massive pile of well-worn pulp romance novels. <laughs> Treddy is inside there too, and he seems to be going around looking for parts and picking them up and throwing them inside of himself. So I need everyone to roll me oh, boy. a 1d12. Are we using that? We're using dice! Beautiful 1d12. Away to me, die. It is a 20. This is a 12. I found my 12! A 2! 5. I also got a 5. I rolled a 3. 
pop, when you look around, the first thing that catches your eye is a homemade gauntlet version of the vest used by the Gendarmi soldiers. Neato. With the harpoon extending out from the top of the wrist and a breakable capsule at the palm. Okay. Kind of like Spider-Man. You know how he has to put his fingers there by the palm? It looks like that. I want it. Okay. Alright, you got a three, right? Yeah. Alright, so you find something that's really neat and not at all distracting. You find a flashlight that, when turned on, lets the shadows it casts interact with physical objects. Oh, no. And I should say, these are all ciphers. Emily, you find an orb that sends out physical ripples as the beat of quiet music plays. It has a small dial or button extending out from its otherwise smooth surface. And then finally, uh, shock, you find a mostly empty container for a substance that is simply called flashback powder. I should hang on to this. Uh, Are you just Nancy Drew now? <laughs> uh, I mean, out of character I am. Tom in real life is probably just Nancy Drew. <laughs> uh, when we come back out... Shock is going to mention, you know, it's it's not really that safe to hold that many ciphers close together. They, they do stuff to you as radiation. I don't know what you're talking about. And as he does that, his uh, mustache seems to twitch on its own accord and actually one half just falls off before like, but it's, you know, like an animation when like something gets off to so his mustache, like goes down two inches, like broken animation before just popping back up onto his face. All right, and then are you going to do anything before kind of, like, leaving this room and getting set up for your adventure? Uh, not, not really. No. Mm. Shock just sort of, like, keeps his head down. Like, all right, I'm in trouble. So two things happen before you leave this room. Uh, the first is as you come out, Mako actually turns to you, Hop, and says, Oh, Hop, I forgot to ask. That pin of yours uh, that you've been using, what did you think of it? I'm really rather proud of its effects. <laughs> There's a, a brief moment of silence. There's a beat uh, before Hop takes the pin. Is like, Mr. Mako, you're obviously very brilliant, but this pin is one of the worst things I've ever used. <laughs> I am so sorry to be so brutally honest. It would be really cool if you didn't have to prick it every time to make it work. Oh, why didn't you tell me that? I just did. And as Treddy comes out, he uh, reaches inside and he pulls out a bunch of just random mechanical things and he takes the pin and he puts them together. And as he does, you can see what looks like kind of those old-fashioned uh, tape recorder speakers. Yeah. And you can see the pin and between them, there's this weird kind of, I'm going to say weird purplish tube. And he says this is the key. This will connect any input, and he points up the pin, to any output, and he points up the speaker. Okay. And he sticks it down, and he hands it back to you and says, now all you gotta do is press the button and talk into it, and anyone with the pin should be able to hear you. Oh, that's so much better. Thank you. I can keep this then? Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, this is much better. And as you leave, one last thing happens. Uh, so you all make your way out. And Shock, you're trying intentionally to keep your head down, correct? Mm -hmm. As you do, you hear Mako say, Oh, Shock, I'm so sorry. I absolutely forgot to check in. What kind of doctor am I? Uh, you haven't been having sort of any weird side effects or encountering anything weird since you've woken up, have you? Is Lowell here right now? Lowell is not here. Oh, damn. Would have been really cool if he was just, like, sitting on the side, waving. <laughs> uh, he'll look around for Lowell and say, No. <laughs> Excellent. Let me know if anything pops up. Ellie eyes him suspiciously. Michelle's gonna do it as well. <laughs> <laughs> From deep in the data sphere, you can see the data sphere spirits give up. Mm, look at you. <laughs> 
But Hop is oblivious. Hop notices. Well, no, <laughs> no, like Hopper's been like he's noticed that Jacques is being is being edgy. I was going to talk about it as soon as we left, but he's not giving him a suspicious look. He's giving him space. What is right. space? All right, it's about an hour before you gear up and get ready for Rulettia. It looks like they're going to have to take the boat out from the barn and are going to have to re-put on some posts so the whole thing doesn't fall down. Um, so is there anything that you do in that time? Um, well, on the way out of the thing, if we're, like, leaving, I wanted to just go up to Jacques and be like, you okay? Um, mm, mm, well, I don't know, because I was seeing things that weren't there back when the spiders were in me, and now I still am. But it's a very specific person. What do you mean? Uh, he said his name is Lowell, and only I can see and hear him. Huh. Why didn't you tell Mako? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't want to. Copper will shrug at that and be like, that's your choice if you don't want to tell him. I'm a little worried. I don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's fine. I, we'll, we'll figure it out. He'll not, yeah, we'll figure it out. If anything's bothering you, you can say as much or as little as you'd like. But we're all here. Thank you, Hopperscotch. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Is anyone else going to do anything uh, in this time? Um, I think I'll do my thing on the boat. Then one last thing happens before you gear up. So you find out as you're kind of packing up that you are being accompanied by two people on this trip. So Mauve is going to be kind of driving you there because she knows the boat best. And she's also very protective and cautious. Uh, which is kind of what you need in Rulettia. But also, there was one person who heard about shopping and absolutely jumped on board with the idea. So you're going to be having Everett come along with you as well. Uh, Jesse, Jesse really isn't uh, isn't into the glitz and the glamour and kind of wants to stay back and, and do some research with Mr. Mago. So you'll be going with uh, Everett and Mauve on this adventure. And as you're, as you're packing up and kind of walking back, Hopper, you hear a voice say, oh, Mr. Hopper, Mr. Hopper, do you have a second? Yeah, what's up, Jesse? Um, so I heard about, uh, I heard, I heard about the, the nice thing you said to Everett when, when you guys met up, that, that you were going to get him a hat. Uh, Hopper will spend a second <laughs> trying to remember and I go, oh, <laughs> yeah, I did promise him a hat. <laughs> I did promise him a hat. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Uh, well, Jesse gets super excited, and and they say, actually, it's a really fun coincidence. I've been saving up for for ever since I went out to get all those artifacts for the queen. I've been saving up and, and collecting shins to get Everett a hat. So I was wondering if if, if Rulettia, uh, since it has the biggest assortment of hats anywhere in the ninth world, if you would be willing to to get him one for me, I, I have money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, Jesse. And they pull out eleven shins, which they give to you. Okay. Hopper will pocket the 11 shins from Jesse in a separate area from where he keeps his own money. Everett doesn't like to admit the things he likes. He thinks they make him uncool or something like that. So if you show him hats, there's going to be some that he claims to like. He probably doesn't like those. There are going to be ones he claims to hate, and he definitely hates those. But if, if you find a hat that he is like, no, never, not in a thousand years, I, I hate that hat. That hat is the worst. That's exactly the one he wants. Okay, uh, I'll keep that in mind. Thanks so much, Mr. Hopper. I, I really appreciate it. Everett's been acting all weird since the clock, so I think he really needs a win. All right. Well, I'll try. I'll try to find a, a good hat that he detests. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, Everett, uh, Jesse gives you the money, and then like sits there for a second. And is like you can tell they want a hug, <laughs> but they're not sure if they're they're at that point yet. Uh, okay. Um, Hopper will 
extend a hand and be like, it was very nice to meet you, Jesse. And then when they shake hands, he'll pull Jesse in for a bro hug. Oh, a bro hug. Uh, Jesse, uh, <laughs> is like, it was super nice to meet you too, Mr. Hopper. And they start jumping up and down. They're like, oh, by the way, I'm going to have the pin if you ever need to reach out to me. Great. No. And they're super excited. And they start hopping down the street. Hopping. <laughs> and then you're feeling super good. You're like, man, I'm going to do a great thing for Jesse. Yeah. And then you round the corner and you see leaning against the wagon. <laughs> you see the sulking face of Everett. And now you remember what you have to do <laughs> to make Jesse happy. All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the episode break for episode 19 of Quest Friends. I am Kyle, your GM and brain boy, and today we're going to talk about stuff like like we always do. As always, our intro and outro songs are Friends and Hitoshio, both by Miracle of Sound. For any of you who might be new, who aren't familiar with Miracle of Sound, Gavin, the guy who makes it, is, is really, really great. And his stuff is amazing, and I would absolutely encourage you to check him out. He lets us use this music for absolutely free, which is just incredible. Other than that, our call to action this week is to check out questfriendspodcast.com. That's our website where you can find episodes like this one. Although, I suppose if you're already listening to this, you don't need another place for them. But... You can also find super cool things like episode summaries if you want to just get a refresher on what happened or you want to catch someone else up to speed and things like character sheets and artwork and just all the other kind of goodies you would find with a website like this. So again, that website is questfriendspodcast.com. Thanks for joining us on this exposition-heavy episode. We will be back with more shenanigans on Monday, July 23rd. I will see you then. So you all get on the boat and you start kind of driving out into the plains of Navarine. It's a couple of hour long drive. Do you all do anything during this time? I want to. So are we all kind of in the same area? Like it's it's not a huge boat, right? Yeah, it's like a covered wagon. Like one yeah. of you can maybe be hanging out in that like little watery area with all the ciphers <laughs> under the trap door if you wanted uh, isolation. Is that where which Everett I, is? I bet Everett's been there at yeah. least once. <laughs> radiation. <laughs> isolation and radiation. Radiation is rad, Ikole. Dude. Get the fuck off our boat. <laughs> <laughs> Are you all sitting down? Yes, I am. Uh, Shock is is leaning against Varel. I was going to say that Misha is doing that too. So. Can we both be leaning against Varel together? <laughs> yes, let's just do it. That's perfect. <laughs> I'm going to turn to Hop and say, stay. And then I'm going to grab Misha <laughs> and Shock, their collars, each in one hand, and pull them over and sit them down a little bit roughly. <laughs> and I'm going to look at all three of you. You heard what happened to Aegon. He went off on his own, and now look where it got him. I'm on this boat. I am on this boat now. And you all are on this boat. 
We are all on the boat together. If any of you think about running off on your own, I will come after you. We mm. are at that point. We are all on the boat. Shalk will do one of those scared <laughs> nods. <laughs> like, oh, uh, yeah. Misha, mm. is, uh, Misha is going to briefly look at Sock and then avert her gaze completely. Oh, Shock is going to look back at Misha and, like, put a hand on their arm. <laughs> Hopper's noticing this one. <laughs> Uh, and then he'll just turn back to it and be like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So don't go off on your own. Just don't do it. We're stuck together now. You're stuck with me. I'm stuck with you. Deal. And as Ellie goes away, we as the viewers kind of pan left to right, and we see Hop, who's, I'm assuming, like, confused. <laughs> he's confused, but he's like a happy confused. He's kind of smiling a little bit and thinking like, well, this was unexpected, <laughs> but not unwelcome. <laughs> so we see Hop, and then we pan over and we see Misha. And what is Misha looking like? Misha is just kind of embarrassed and avoiding their gaze <laughs> from, from Ellie, and then just occasionally darting looks to shock. And then we're going to keep on moving over and we're going to see Shock. And what does Shock look like? Shock is is mostly just like looking to see that Misha is okay. <laughs> All right. And then we keep panning and we see next to him looking kind of wide-eyed and confused, Lowell, who leans over to Shock <laughs> and says, Are we in trouble? Oh, boy. <laughs> Shock will stiffen and, like, sit up straighter. I'm gonna try to catch his eye and raise a quizzical eyebrow. Shock will look around at the rest of the party, see Hopper's look, and just sort of give, like, a mm, nod, like, yeah, 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 and then just say, all right, so I should probably mention, before we go any further, that, uh, I've, we've got a new, uh, tag along now. I was seeing different visions before, but now I am seeing Lowell. Lowell is gonna wave over and say, hello! Oh, wait, shit, they- <laughs> They can't see they me. Can't see you. Oh fuck. Um, Only I can see and hear you. Can, can you tell him? Can you tell him I'm waving? He he's he's waving. Hello. Ellie's gonna wave at like just like one sarcastic wave, hopefully at the wrong area. <laughs> oh no, I'm over here. Um, can you tell her I'm over here? Shock doesn't actually tell her where where <laughs> Lowell is, but but he'll be looking at Lowell, so people will probably figure out where he is. All right, uh, and then Lowell's gonna say, "All right, listen, shock buddy. I I I did some research. I looked it up, and I've got nothing. I got no idea why why you can see me and why I can talk to you." Huh? Like, I mean, I've seen people before, but they've they've never been able to talk back to me. So I I don't I don't, I don't get what's what's going on here. People have been able to talk back to you. Who was the woman? Hey, what what are you talking about? I saw you before when I still had the spiders. You were in a in a house. There um, was an artifact on the wall that you were putting there. Someone um, was calling you outside. Uh, he's actually going to look a little bit, like, kind of a little unsettled that you're creeping into his brain. Uh, but he's going to be like, oh, 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 I I get it. No, I got it. I got it. Yeah, no, uh, what you saw, that was my mom. That was my mom. That was my home. I grew up in the Paranthian Empire. 
that little orb was something that it was like a gift. My mom got some sort of award for like really good farm work. I don't know. The Pranthian Empire gives out shitty rewards. I mean, she, she loved it so much, but she would always put it right on the edge of the counter. And so it would fall over and like it would get a couple of scratches. And I, I was convinced the, th- the thing was going to break. So every day I would get up and she would have put it out there and I would have had to stick it on back in the back again. But see, that that's a thing that you could have told me earlier. Well, you didn't ask, man. You just asked, why am I here now? Who are you? What do you want? I don't know. I want to get to know you. See, that's where I come. I'm from the Pranthian Empire. What about you, buddy? Where, where are you from? Shock turns to the rest of the party since we've been only seeing, like, one half of this <laughs> conversation. Listening to Shock, right? <laughs> Misha is going to ask, can you only see him or can he physically hurt you? Shock will look back at Lowell. Well, can you? Hurt you, buddy. We're just getting to know each other. Come on, we can't have this kind of suspicion if we're stuck together, and I think we are stuck together. But here, let's let's try it out. He's gonna raise a, he's gonna like put out his hand for a handshake. Shock also raises his hand, but like does it sideways because he still doesn't know how handshakes work, <laughs> and just tries to stick it through through his um, hand. It stops. Mm. Um, it stops when it's there, and it's like, oh hey, look at that. Let's try it again. High five. Shock genuinely looks afraid now and does it. They go for a high five and what everyone else would see. Actually, everyone else give me a perception roll. Five. Also, I think I'm... My descriptor is perception. Yeah, I'm trained to perception now. Fifteen. Seventeen. In that case, I'm going to say, yeah, both Ellie and, Ellie and Hop both see this. You can see that, like, as they as they slap their hands together, Shocks is stopping, but there's no, like, physical interaction, right? Because, you know, like, when you hit your hand, like, it would at least indent in a little bit. Yeah, it would get red from, like, the slap. Yeah, it would get red, or you'd feel something physical. Uh, as he does that, you don't, you don't notice anything of that. It, it kind of just looks like he went and he stopped. And maybe his muscles are tense a little bit, like like he's like he's like he's hitting a force. Yeah, like he's trying, or like his muscles are tense, like he's trying to pretend he's hitting a force. Okay, but he's not actually. It, it there, there's no like physical indication of that. But to you, shock, it feels completely, absolutely real. Like you feel the little ting of pain that comes when you high five, and you hear the sound. But to the outside observer, it just looks like shock just raised his hand and then stopped it, <laughs> like he's pretending to use the force. Can we should try and like slash karate thing, like in the in, right in front of shock's hand to see if they can feel anything, <laughs> or just some some sort of thing, or moving their hand in front of shock's hand. Yep. Mm, well, uh, you notice nothing, and Shock, you all also notice nothing. Mm. The hand just kind of phases through Lowell, and, like, I would say he gets a little bit translucent. You know how, like, when you go through a ghost, the ghost might look fully opaque, but then you put something through it, it gets a little translucent so you can see the thing on the inside? Like slashing through a hologram. Yeah, it's like slashing through a hologram. Yeah. That's kind of what it looks like. You know, when you do that common thing of going through a ghost. I know. I was like, that sounds like everyday experience for Kyle. Like, you know, like yesterday when I went through my friend. Every single day. Look, adventurer analogies. <laughs> so yeah, Shock is going to recoil a little bit, like, in fear of Lowell. It, seeing, like, the fear in Shock's face, Hop's gonna ask, what does it want? What do you want? <laughs> He's gonna shrug his shoulders, and I'm like, oh, no, be- beats me. Uh, I mean, what are you up to? You doing anything? Shock is going to make like a like a serious frowny face at him and then say, my screw ups have already caused a lot of trouble. So then he's going to turn to the rest of the party and say, probably shouldn't discuss anything super important around me so that Lowell can't hear it. We don't know what he wants. 
He might be part of the Apocrita. Is this Noel always present? Not always, but I, I, I can't, like, keep him away. We're not going to leave you out of the loop. How far from you can he step? Could we ask this Noel <laughs> to leave? He doesn't like you. Go stand over there. I'm actually going to answer that with a GM intrusion. Okay. Uh, for Tom. So, Tom, who do you want to give your other experience point to? I want to give my other experience point to Ari oh. for, for karate chopping this terrible brain boy. <laughs> Thank you. So, as you're asking, like, oh, how far can he go? You see him standing right behind where uh, Mauve is, and on the passenger seat, you see Everett, and Everett is holding out a brochure. And he turns back and says, Oh, so we're going to Roulettea? I hate that place. How distant away is the cab? Uh, it's a handful of feet. All right, so I that would... doesn't really answer the question. Right. Chuck's going to say, and that doesn't really prove anything. You could go farther and just be lying to us. He turns back and shrugs his shoulders. He's like, well, I can't be lying if I don't know. <laughs> yes, you could be lying. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's pretty hard to read back here. It's getting kind of fuzzy. My <laughs> guess would be I can kind of go far, but at the core, you're my eyes and ears, buddy. So probably no more than an immediate distance. Misha is going to try and mentally reach to Sok and ask him, can Loyal hear when I talk to you like this? Hi! <laughs> Misha's going to <laughs> recoil. <laughs> Did Misha actually hear that? Yeah. Okay, Misha is going to be like, oh, so this is what he sounds like. What is going on? <laughs> Shock uh, closes the mental channel for now, even though normally it's always open. Do you, uh, one question, Ari, do you let him close the channel? Can I can I not lo- let it entirely? Can I like allow? You can pre- you can try to prevent it. Yeah, that was a rule we decided earlier. Okay, Misha's gonna try and, and prevent it because they they want to keep an eye on things. All right, give me competing intellect rolls. Oh boy, I won't spend. Effort can I spend on this. effort in this? Yeah, how much do you want to spend? Um, one level of effort. No, actually, two levels of effort since I have okay. my pool is full. So that would be like minus five, right? Yeah. Okay. Although that subtracted by your edge. Yeah, oh, that's true. I got a, hang on, I got a, I got a 20. That definitely beats me. (laughs) That motherfucking channel stays so open. In fact, it is so open that for just a split second, you can kind of see a faint gaseous shape where Lowell is standing. And you can actually hear shock as he's like, oh man, I got to close down this channel to protect my friends. Or what exactly runs through your head? Because that's what I said ran through your head. But what's like the... The split-second sentence Misha hears as you're trying to shut down the channel. Uh, it would be something to the effect of, can't let the virus spread. Oh. All right. And with that, then the channel goes back to as it is usual. Okay. Misha's going to just tell Shock, I'm not going to leave you alone with whatever that thing is. I'm sorry. Shock looks down at his feet and says, I'm, I'm sorry too. I, I shouldn't have tried that. I'm, I just don't know what it can do, and I don't want it to get inside you either. Misha's going to be like... I'll make sure he doesn't. Uh, actually, it's it's a he, and my name's Lowell. Did I not say that? You have given us very little reason to trust you so far, and you can't explain how you got in my head either. No, I mean, the way I see it, we're both in each other's heads. I mean, listen, you're the one who got into my memories, not the other way around. Shock doesn't really know how to respond to that one. Which is going to just think to themselves, I wonder if we throw him off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> try it, try it, try it. <laughs> What, you mean You mean throw him off the boat? Yes. Whoa, hey, hey, hey. He just sort of blinks around. I don't think that would do anything. I'm not certain I could throw him off the boat even. Mm. Are you seeing this in your mind still? Yeah. 
Well, I suppose Misha can say it out loud and, and uh, tell to the others. I do not know what would happen since we don't know if there's a limit distance if we just tried to toss him out or put him in a remote island of some sort away from us. <laughs> He's giving like a dude what the fuck look. <laughs> Like, what the fuck, guys? I'm gonna eye shock and say, I don't think Jacques could throw him off the boat. My arms are very weak. It's true. Hmm. Who are you? Tell me about yourself, please. I told you, buddy. I'm Lowell. I grew up in the Peranthian Empire. Then my mom got an award. And that's a hell of a lot more than you've been telling me. So how about this? You want me to be helpful? I want to get to know you. Next time we see each other, let's figure that out, Okay. And he blips away. He is gone now. <sighs> I know I should have told Mako, but I don't... I don't want to turn into whatever Aegon is. I was just worried maybe I'm not... Maybe I'm not really cured. Pause for Hallie, unless you want to say something. I, I didn't know what I was going to say yet, so that makes it easier. Okay. She was going to chew you the fuck out. Hallie! She was taken okay? in by the swarm. No! Hallie, come back! She's an apocryphal soldier. <laughs>